In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Circle makers work for MI5. Who do the hedgehogs work for? Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Aliens and spacefaring cigar-shaped craft? I'd like you to meet Led Zeppelin. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. Paratopia, this week's episode is an exclusive. It's a roundtable discussion with Crop Circle researchers David Caton and Robert Hulse and uh, Richard Hall, who is the film director of uh, Crop Circle's The Hidden Truth, which you can watch right now, or better yet, right after this interview, at www.richplanet.net. You can watch the entire thing for free right there. Uh, I watched it, Jeff watched it, and we were uh, pretty stunned, actually, at some of the revelations in the film that uh, we'll be sharing with you during this interview. Um, Of course, as you've come to expect, the interview will go a whole lot deeper and in a whole lot of new directions. So this is really a a perfect follow-up to Colin Andrews, who actually got us in touch with uh, Richard, Robert, and David, so... Thank you again. Uh, I know I thank you during the episode, Colin, but thanks again. Can't hurt to thank you again. So a little bit background. Uh, Richard Hall is an electrical engineer. He is someone who has investigated the UFO phenomena and related subjects, and um, he is, in fact, the director of Crop Circles, The Hidden Truth. David Caton has been researching the crop circle phenomenon since the mid-'90s. He used to be. He took early retirement from the Design Engineering Laboratories at British Aerospace, Woodford Cheshire, and Robert Hulse has also been investigating crop circles, well, since the late 90s, and um, there's a lot more to Robert, as we'll find out during the episode. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get on with that episode, shall we? Here it is, your crop circle roundtable that um, sheds some new light in new directions, as I said, on this whole phenomenon. I hope you enjoy it. Take it away, Jeffrey. Hey, Paratopia. It's Jeff Ritzman here, Jeremy Vaney, along with you on a Saturday morning. Too early for either of us to be up. Uh, (laughs) We have with us today Mr. Robert Hulse, Mr. David Caton, and Mr. Richard Hall, all of which uh, Jeremy Wright, uh, Colin Andrews, more or less, got us in contact with. Yes, Uh, Colin was great in uh, saying, you need to talk to these guys, they need to talk to you, this will be a great show. So thank you very right. much, Colin Andrews. Yes, yes. And uh, <clears throat> Richard, uh, well, I should say that, uh, Richard, I, I, you made a essentially a, a film for your website that uh, interviewed uh, David and Robert and, and a couple of other people in the way of looking at crop circles from the unknown point of view, mm-hmm. but also touches upon 
the hoax to circles, which we talked to Colin about. Um, but it takes kind of a different approach from Colin's viewpoint, I should say, on the the hoaxed circles. And you discovered some rather interesting things. But before we get to any of that, I'd like Richard Hall just to tell me, how did you get into this at all? We're going to kind of give backstory okay. for everyone. Yeah, sure. Um, hello, Jeff. Hello, hello Jeremy. Um, my background is I'm um, an engineer, electrical engineer, and I've always had a, a background interest in ufology for many years. Um, I was a big follower of, and still am, of the you know the Bob Lazar story in Area 51 and all of that sort of stuff. Around uh, about three years ago, I started studying the subject seriously, and two years ago I set up the website richplanet.net basically to try and promote ufology and put the information across in an interesting fashion. Now, earlier this year, I um, I wanted to make a, a film about uh, animal mutilation, and I, I contacted uh, David Caton, who's, who's on the line now, and we made a, a film about animal mutilation in the UK, um, because David Caton has investigated animal mutilation as well as crop circles, and that's how it got to meet David, and I didn't really have a particular interest in crop circles up until sort of the midpoint of this year. I'm very, very new to it. You know, David refers to me as a new kid on the block, and I, I very much am. Um, but sometimes things require a fresh pair of eyes, is the way I see it, and sometimes that then, people who've been involved in sort of crop circles for years and years, they don't, they're not asking some of the questions which I believe need to be asked, which I asked in the, in the film. David, uh, how did you get started in this, uh, of all things? You mean just the crop circles? Um, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. let's approach okay. that from there. Well, the the person, the persons who instigated my interests were uh, Roy Dutton, who was an ex British Aerospace engineer, uh, as I was, and he introduced me to it while I was at work in the canteen one lunchtime, flashing photographs around of crop circles in Cheshire and in Wiltshire, and I thought, my goodness, this is interesting. And then uh, I'd heard about Colin Andrews, of course. And uh, so it's really those t two people who got me interested in that. Mm. Uh, I already had an interest in UFOs a, a bit, partly due to past RAF experience, but again, it was Roy Dutton <laughs> who persuaded me to uh, join Bufora, which is a British UFO Research Association, which I did for a short time and soon got disenchanted with them, apart from their very poor magazine at great cost. Um, so I took an early retirement from my company, British Aerospace, at the Woodford plant in Cheshire in uh, January 93, and I signed up as a UFO investigator with Quest International under ex-police sergeant Tony Dodd, who was the in director of investigations research, and Graham Birdsall, uh, sadly deceased, both of them, who was the director of Quest and ran a very good British UFO magazine. So after interviewing quite a few witnesses and looking at various cases, some, some good, some not so good, uh, having then heard in 93 from, I think it was 1993, from Roy about the crop circles, and about the same time about animal mutilations from Tony Dodd, and Tony informed me that some of these were obviously occurring in the UK, I decided that crop circles and animal mutilations might be worth spending more time 
and uh, a little cash at my disposal <laughs> to go into fields retrieving specimens of, of both because I thought there's some tangible physical evidence left on the ground which you can obviously get a handle on and pass to the relevant uh, specialists, whether it be botanists or pathologists, uh, which might give more meaningful evidence that uh, alien uh, species from elsewhere are visiting the planet, rather than listening and reporting someone's sighting of something in the sky, which is there and gone, you know, and you, right. you just believe that witness or you don't, and that's the end of the story. Yeah. So that's how I really got into the crop circles and the animal mutilation stuff. Yeah, it's a bit more hands-on there in that direction. Yes, uh, yes Robert, right, yeah. Robert, how did you, um, how did you get into all this as well? Uh, well, it's a bit different to uh, uh, Richard and David. Um, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, basically, I've been, uh, I've had ET contacts throughout my life, and. Um, uh, I suppose back in the mid-90s, I contacted Roy Dutton um, uh, to discuss um, certain sightings that had occurred around about um, where we lived, and um, I went to see Roy, and uh, it was at this time that he showed me his machine, which is uh, featured in Richard's film, which demonstrates how he thinks the uh, crop circles might be created. Um, he um, uh, said that I, I should get in touch with David Caton, who was a friend of his, and I did. And in 2000, uh, I, I went down to Wiltshire with with my wife, and uh, I met up with David and his wife, and we we got uh, researching the crop circles. We uh, we decided we'd we'd do it um, in a, in a pretty much nuts and bolts fashion. Um, and and really, um, we've been um, looking at the crop circles with the same kind of eye as Richard is doing today. And so uh, we, we fit uh, very well with uh, Richard's way of thinking, I think. Yeah. Um, but I, as I say, I've been involved with uh, ET contacts all my life. And although some people might think that's a bit, um, a bit off the wall, um, I Not on this show, it ain't. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really good. Um, uh, you know, I've met uh, so many people. I've made so many friends throughout the world um, who've had experiences. Excellent. And uh, I still continue to have them. And um, I, I, I don't feel threatened in any way by that. And um, I'm very, very happy to be part of this project. We're going to have to have you back on your own to talk about that. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, well, uh, Robert and David, I have a question for you um, just to start this, this mammoth show off. Something that, that we here in the States, or at least I've thought about a, a lot when it comes to crop circle research, is that <clears throat> the way it's described on every program that you see or every documentary that you happen to watch is that there are very definitive physical effects that happen within a formation, such as the blown nodes or the bent nodes or more or less the kind of things that, that we saw, and I believe it was the St. George Wilshire 2003 formation where you had a formation that wasn't laid on the ground but was rather bent over halfway or a little under halfway yeah, down the stalk. The, uh, the, Sorry, that was the Ogborn St. George Ogborn, formation. Right. That's yeah. right, yeah. And, uh, and that, to me, was 
the most astounding thing I've ever seen in crop circle research at all, because that most closely mirrors what we had happen here in Maryland, which was more or less a grape shot uh, formation that was not bent over even with the ground, did have the blown nodes, did have the bent nodes. All of these things kind of seem obvious. So my question is, is when you go into a formation isn't it almost, or this has been my perception, I'm not sure how many other people think this, but isn't it almost somewhat easy to tell that these are either hoaxed or legitimate unknown uh, forces at work doing these? Well, who's going first, David? <laughs> um, well, shall I? Shall I? Yes, go on. Yeah. Uh, um, sometimes it's not so easy, particularly depending on the state of the crop. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Ogborn St. George was clearly not planked because, as you said, Jeff, they were only bent so so many inches down from the top and at different heights as well as you went across each individual circle. But in uh, high season when the crops really developed and ripening and it's straw-coloured and flattened down, uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to be sure certainly board marks are harder to find um, but as time goes on you you, you do develop a, a nose for them and the way the crop is laid often it's it looks physical the planks leave furrows between if a guy's gone round or a number of guys in tandem gone round a larger shape I'm not saying necessarily a circle shape but a shape there's usually little gaps between each guy's board, which leaves a, a furrow of crop a little bit higher, a bit like when you ploughed a field sure. and, and you get a bit of crop maybe six to nine inches, not as compressed and as low down as the next spin round with the plank. So you get this sort of groove effect. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> The yeah, green okay. crop's easy. I'll, I'll, I'll let Robert carry on, yeah. Okay. When you come to a crop circle, if it's early in the season and there's, and, and there's um, plenty of um, moisture in the crop and it's nice and green, um, it has a certain elasticity to it so that when the, the uh, crop is stomped down with a, with a board, the elasticity in the crop sort of evens out the... Um, the stems and the seed heads so even a stomped formation early in the season can look good because it sort of naturally sorts itself out Mm. it's later on in the season when the when the crop is dry and there's no moisture in the stems that it's much more easy to tell um, a stomped formation because the, the crop just goes down and it stays where it's been put i see um so that's just from from looking at it from sort of standing outside the circle looking in um, so the the notion of bent nodes being automatically legitimate is not necessarily true then absolutely not okay um, um, a bent nodes blown nodes i mean bent nodes can so easily come about through um phototropism where um say the um, the wheels of the tractor Uh, going through the field has just bent down uh, some of the stems um, by the tractor lines. Um, If that happens early in the season, then naturally through phototropism, those stems will bend back up to the light. 
mm. and people will be able to go into a crop circle and by these tractor lines they'll be able to find um, bent nodes but it's a perfectly natural phenomenon mm. and the same thing applies with the blown nodes um, as we said in the in the film um, the blow, blown nodes do occur because heat is applied from some energy source uh, in the genuine formations and this is what creates the pressure in the in the node which which blows a hole in the node but also i believe you can get a blown node um if or something that looks like one if um the crop is uh, flattened down in a crop circle and then left in the full glare of the sun for days and what happens is the, the flattened crop uh, gets more of the heat from the sun than the um, standing crop uh, around it as you can understand you know the, the, the breeze is blowing, blowing through the stems and all this kind of thing right. and what happens is it ripens that that the flattened crop much more quickly and i believe that the heating effect can itself naturally create what appears to be a blown node. So the only time blown nodes can be used at all uh, as an arbiter of, of a genuine circle is if you go into the circle within, I would say, a day or two of it having been discovered and that there are blown nodes throughout the formation, not just in one little part or another, and also that there are no blown nodes generally in the standing crop in the rest of the field right right so so it's a bit more complicated than it at first seems sure and, sure. and of course this is where we may get some criticism in the film because people because because we're limited to time we're not able to discuss these things in such great detail so people may get the impression that we are not as um, clinical in our examination um, as we should be, but it's just simply um, uh, time problems. Well, I, I think that uh, if nothing else, this film definitely shows that the two of you are down on hands and knees looking at individual stalks in a field which, you know, if you can find those small bruise lines from the board marks, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, extensive, I would say, to, to yeah, go well, to that length. Sometimes yeah. it takes quite a while. You know, we've gone into mm -hmm. formations. There's one formation which we show in the film which is um in in sort of the, the photograph of it which we we say it's a man-made formation it's a, a, a green crop and it's like a big um sort of wavy cross design mm -hmm. uh, it's a beautiful formation and when we first went in it we thought you know this looks pretty damn good and it took quite a while to find the board marks but when we started to find them we found them without much difficulty uh, but when David and I have gone into formations, I hope it's pretty obvious from the film that we don't go in hoping to find man-made formations. We go in hoping upon hope to find the real thing. And we're just as disappointed as anyone else when we, when we find evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Well, here's the other um, uh, thing that often comes up that this is kind of maybe stereotypical of a crop circle uh, study is that if you have a circle or you have some sort of flattened crop in, in any um, kind of shape that, you know, you've got a layer on top that is swirled perhaps one way 
and then underneath of that layer, it swirled another way or another direction entirely. Is that present in every, you know, unknown formation that you might find, uh, or not? Is that well, not again? Is that not a? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure beyond sure that that would be incredibly difficult for someone to fake, uh, because I've seen that with my own eyes as well, and uh, I don't see any way you're doing that with a board. So again, is that something that's consistent across all unknowns that you could judge that way as well? Well, uh, you have to be very, very careful with that sort of thing. Um, you know, these these um, crop circle hoaxes are pretty damn sneaky, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they they they'll try and do things that will you know try which will make the thing look authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the main thing with with the genuine crop circles is the absolute um, pristine nature of the way the crop flows. You know, there's no. Um, sudden changes of direction because the the hoaxers have made a mistake in their their calculations. You know, the thing flows with a just like a stream bed of water, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's the difference is chalk and cheese when you you know you stand when you have the uh, what can I say? I mean, it, it's a privilege to stand in a genuine crop circle because you know you have a feeling that um, you're, you're so close, you have such a connection then to the people who made it, and I'm talking about the people from up above, not down here. Right, right. Well, in the film, I know that we covered over um, this thing that I've never heard before, uh, which is the black tubes uh, reported by, I think it was Mr. Bull was on the, Albert Bull was talking about yeah. it within the film, I, I was. I came away from the film not knowing if a, form, a formation actually came out of that sighting of seeing this gigantic tube uh, no. touching down inside of a field. So it no, did not leave no, there, any trace. No, there was no formation there. Hmm. Um, but um, he, he did well. see um, um, sort of a disturbance on the ground where the sort of soil on the ground was being swept around, but there was no actual formation. So it was it was creating a disturbance, he alleges, but um, Roy Dutton feels that it might be that it was, that this was the technology that they're using, albeit it wasn't at that point being used to make a crop circle. Okay, well, what, um, did he describe to you in detail how this thing appeared and then how it disappeared? And could you guys go into that a little bit about how this thing, you know, what, what, what were, and also what were the physical characteristics? Could he partially see through it? Did it seem like uh, translucent? Was it opaque? I mean, what was the details on that? Well, it, it was Roy Dutton who actually met this guy and, and went and interviewed him. So I've never met the, the farmer, uh, Albert Bull. Um, but so what you see in the program is is pretty much what Roy recorded. So I would need to go back to Roy or Albert and and, and interview them again in order to get that information. Okay, is, is it is it a pre- prevalent report at all? I mean, no. That, that, Roy Roy Dutton made um, his own sort of personal personally produced uh, video. Um, he's, he's made three altogether, uh, a trilogy, busy of his own research, uh, some of which covers crop circles, uh, and that's. Um, called We Are Definitely Not Alone. Now, it's a kind of a, just a homemade production. So he's not had that on TV or anything. So I took clips from that 
and used it in the, in this documentary because I thought certain parts of it, the, the, the circle making machine and Albert Bull and basically what you saw in the program, I thought that that, that, that was very relevant to the, to the whole research. Yeah. Robert, you might like to just speak a bit about your theory that going back to those black beams, we don't know whether they retracted upwards or came down or they just disappeared in the flick of a switch, to be sure. But you've got an idea that they are applying some technology to the field, which is in a sort of uh, pre-recorded the imprint of the formation, but it only yeah. occurs sometime later. Yes, it's in the ground. Yes, in in, in 2000, um, I, I went into a, a formation at a place called uh, All Cannings, which is in the Vale of Pusey. Uh, it was a nine-pointed star formation. It's one that's shown in the film as being genuine. And um, um, a couple of days before that, we'd, we discovered another formation, um, perhaps a quarter of a mile away. And in that formation, I met a lady and some other people, and she said that she'd seen a craft over the fields from her bedroom window in all cannings, and that underneath the craft were lights on a, on a kind of um, a compass kind of machine of some kind, and the lights were moving across backwards and forwards underneath this machine. And, um, and uh, so she thought that this was um, what was responsible for creating this crop circle. However, the problem was that this particular crop circle was terrible, and it was very obvious that it was a man-made job. However, a couple of days later, um, I went into this other crop circle, the nine-pointed star formation, which um, was also at all cannings, and uh, this was genuine. And, what I, and I went to uh, see this lady at her home, and it very quickly became apparent that she could not have seen this um, craft if it had been hovering over the man-made formation. It was simply out of sight. But she could have seen it if it was hovering over the nine-pointed star formation. So I believe that what has happened here is that um, the craft has um, imprinted the pattern onto the ground a couple of days before the pattern actually uh, showed itself. And I think what is happening is that the ley line energy which is so strong in the Vale of Pusey and, and the surrounding area, I believe that that energy is what is being uh, utilized to create these patterns. So um, it's just a theory, but um, I think the, the evidence is, is starting to go, to go that way. Right. Have the two of you, uh, uh, David and Robert, have you ever been in a formation doing any sort of, of uh, investigating within it and had any sightings, any experiences within it that frightened you, shocked you, surprised you? Sightings, I know the sightings of small globes of light are seen often in these things, and Colin has talked to us about uh, Pat Delgado's experience uh, in one where he was felt like he was being dragged into crops that were adjacent to a, a formation. Mm. Uh, either of you had anything like that? I haven't personally. Uh, not to you, Robert, have, have you? No, well, I, I haven't. I haven't I've had in instrumentation uh, problems. Mm. Um, that's the only thing that's uh, a personal experience. I, I 
for the last few years I've been taking a, a Geiger counter into the fields because I was just wondering if there was any residual effect with uh, ionizing radiations which could be dangerous to everybody especially some people lie lie down in the center of crop circles soaking up the energy for hours at a time <laughs> right. and feel, feel good they say but it makes you wonder particularly the sort of work that Lucy Pringle had been doing that maybe that wasn't a good idea uh, and my ex job at British Aerospace I was in charge of a department which was non-destructive testing and we use radiography and uh, occasionally an isotope so I had access to that sort of equipment and uh, in one or two formations at least four I can think of the top of my head which we considered were genuine by examining the crop and the way it was laid within a, a minute or two of going in there I had the instrument switched on and you just get the normal uh, background radiation coming from the cosmos which is only about 0 0.2, 0 0.3 uh, micro per hour dose rate um, and then the, the instrument was suddenly sort of read up, climb up to 10, 12, 15, even 20 times that sometimes and even had to change scale on the instrument um, which alarmed me <laughs> originally when it first did it um, and then it would suddenly go off again just like a light switch and we even didn't we Robert, in one formation in, in Pusey walk out of this nautilus shape down the tractor line out of the formation and it was still reading higher than background for about 20 odd paces in down the tram line and it suddenly got, went off so I marked that position by bending the stalk over and we walked a few paces further away turned round and re retraced our steps and Robert had his video camera looking over my shoulder as I held the instrument up so he could see the, the, the meter so as we passed the same point we expected it to start reading again and it huh. still remained just normal background as it did as we went right into the formation again and it never happened again mm -hmm. um, so I thought this is strange what's happening here right. also my camera batteries were flat I left the camera bag on the floor I think you can take the picture at that point so I decided to on my mobile phone to ring the government, what used to be government-run National Radiological Protection Board at Didcot near Harwell, in, which is quite 25, 30 miles from where we were, and I was put in touch with a guy who looks after all the instrumentation and explained to me what was happening, and he said to me, the only thing I can think of is uh, stray electromagnetic fields. He said, are you under power lines? And I said, no, we're not. There were some in the field, but two or three hundred yards away are you next to an electrical transformer I said, well no we're in a farmer's field in, in Wiltshire so he was baffled so and I also discovered that if you held the uh, the Geiger Muller tube close to the ground and touching the crop it was exactly the same reading if I held it to waist height or extended my arm above my head it's still the same. Now, if it was contamination of ionizing radiation on the ground and the crop, the reading would have been far higher with the probe on the floor because the old inverse square law kicks in. So I was pretty confident it was nothing, no contaminant in the field. So it seems to me there's some energy placed over perhaps some sort of envelope over the field, over the formation, perhaps extending a bit beyond it, 
which might be some sort of surveillance kit that ETs or whatever are monitoring the effects of people as they go in. I have no idea, but it, it's very, very strange. And people have had other problems with, including Colin Andrews, with uh, electrostatic meter equipment reading or and batteries failing, batteries failing on cameras, video cameras, mobile phones, uh, you know, all that sort of kit. Can, right. What you need in that in that case is you need a team of people all with a Geiger counter at different points in the field, yeah. all recording simultaneously. You know right. to get a picture of the actual distribution of what's going on. Yeah, right. yeah, but you know to do that would be a bit. You know you'd need an organisation and funding, I guess, etc. Mm -hmm. Sure, can I, sure. Can I just can I just break in here? Absolutely. Uh, okay, thank. I, I would say that um, what we've also found is that um, the energy. The higher energy seems to be concentrated in the grape shops rather oh, yes. than in the big circles. Thanks for reminding me of that, Robert. Yeah. Okay, Dave. I mean, you went into one um, by Silbury Hill, didn't you? Yes. You want to carry <laughs> yeah. on? Yeah. I went into the main formation, which I wasn't too enchanted with, I have to say. I'm pretty certain it was a man-made job. But as I walked back to the car park, just by the A4 there, by Silbury Hill, um, there was a couple of small grape shots or whatever people like to call them, uh, three or four feet in diameter. And I left the instrument switched on and just idly held the probe down into the, uh, close to the centre of the, one of these grape shots. And it immediately started to read, and in fact it went right off the clock. There's an audio attachment to this, so the pulses or the, the tone rises uh, incrementally with the amount of uh, dose rate you're getting. So the higher the danger, the higher the note to warn the operator that you, you're in a, <laughs> a hot spot. Right. Uh, and it went right off the clock, saturated. Uh, and then as I came out, um, I switched it off. And then it switched it on again, and it didn't work. It, it completely destroyed the uh, sensitive Gagamilla tube. So it's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, and can I just say that I have um, um, other friends who have stood in these um, great shots and um, felt extremely uncomfortable. They didn't have, um, you know, equipment with them to monitor the energy, but they they were very um, aware that there was um, powerful energy in the grape shots and, and they had to uh, get out of them fairly quickly. Well, uh, here in Maryland, we had a formation. In fact, it was in two locations that were probably about 10 miles or so away from each other. And one of them was rather large and right next to the road. Uh, and this was uh, something that I know that the MUFON investigator that I was with was a, a section director for Maryland. He, uh, it took it quite a bit of badgering to get him to let me go with him because I was so anxious to see this. And, uh, and when we got there, it was not unlike what you described at, uh, at Ogborn. The thing was not flattened down. It was basically these things were laid over, blown nodes, uh, no sign of anyone being in there doing it. It certainly wasn't a pattern of any kind. It wasn't a coherent pattern. But there were these small little circles as if someone took a large water balloon and threw it down in this big field of, I believe it was wheat or rye or something like that. And um, it, Richard, it's odd that you mentioned that that it was uh, an uncomfortable feeling because the minute that I stepped in this thing, I felt the most 
unbelievable feeling of being watched from across the road mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that I've ever had. And I, and I had that feeling quite often back in those days. This was so palpable mm-hmm. that I was con- t- continuously looking across the road to see if someone was there. It was that real. And unbeknownst to me, the MUFON director, uh, he was taking photographs of all this stuff to send off to Dr. Levingood. Uh, and I was collecting samples from inside the formation. He was collecting controls from maybe 20, 30 feet out. And uh, he turned around and took a picture of me while I was looking away from him and looking towards the road. About two weeks later at the MUFON gathering, the meeting uh, for the month, he said, uh, remember how you were looking across the street and you felt like you were being watched? And I said, yeah. And he shows me the picture, and there is an unexplained black fuzzy blur in the air, about, I would say, 30, 40 feet in the air, that clearly looked like it was across the street. So I can completely relate to that uncomfortable feeling, and it was very uncomfortable. I'm confident that um, when uh, David and I have been in crop circles that we've been watched also. I um, I also, I, also um, I believe, have um, filmed um, ETs, Mm-hmm. Um, in their stealth mode, walking uh, just a few feet away from us in a particular crop formation, which was a, a man-made one. Mm. Um, it was rather like uh, the um, the Predator film, you know, where you you see the shape of the alien um, sort of moving across the the background of, of leaves in the jungle. Well, this was the background of um, of the crop. Now, I tried to show I tried to show this film footage to some people um, about an hour later, and uh, my camcorder would not work. Um, I kept getting a message on the camcorder which said, um, "You know, cannot be switched on," or something like that. A message I'd never seen before, and I tried about eight times, and eventually I gave up, thinking that my camcorder was completely ruined. Anyway, about a couple of hours later, David and I went into another crop circle, and he persuaded me to take the the, the camcorder with me, and uh, so I reluctantly did so and switched it on, and it worked perfectly. So I conclude from that that I was not supposed to show that film to anybody. Yeah. Huh. The, Im- the images in the background, Jeff, were like a, uh, a shimmering, wavy distortion, weren't they, Robert? Yeah, you know, yeah. So a sudden sort of ripple went across the screen. So, so am I right in guessing here that that you did capture the footage? It was just that it wouldn't display. That's correct. But, uh, but I, I have to say that I have a great deal of uh, respect for these people, and um, I feel that if if I'm not meant to do certain things, then then I will very happily go along with that. I, mean, <laughs> I can I, relate. <laughs> you can't. I mean, I I mean, I've. It, it's only a few months ago I was talking to two guys, setting up uh, for a night's fishing at a, a local lake, and um, as as one of them was talking to me, and he he jumped back in amazement because um, uh, the same um, thing that I've just described was uh, actually taking place behind me. Mm. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, I didn't even bother turning round because I'm kind of used to this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'd, I'd be looking for if it, if it looks like the predator thing, I'd be sure as hell looking for uh, that little uh, that little red triangle on my forehead. 
We've got to have you back. Uh, uh, well, listen, I want, to, I want to ask one more here, and then I'm going to flip over to Jeremy to let him uh, get in here. And I've got this written down, and this is probably a, a really dumb question, but I have to ask it because I wrote it last night in the throes of absolute tiredness. You might get a uh, dumb answer, Jeff. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, when you have a, a genuine formation... And uh, and you two gentlemen have said this is the real deal. This is something that we can't explain. What then happens to that formation? Because I, I take it that a lot of things do show up during harvest time. Uh, does the farmer harvest this, and therefore does the do these circles ultimately? Because I'm thinking I want some bread made <laughs> out, out of out of, out of, a, out of a circle that's that's yeah. legitimate. And I, I'm wondering. I mean, does this do people actually consume the grain in the end from these? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've thought exactly the same thing, haven't we, Robert? Yeah. And the farmer doesn't seem to be bothered because they think they're all man-made, which a lot are, obviously. And yes, they combine the lots and cut the, the formation out, and it goes in the in the mill along with everything else. Hmm. So yeah, it goes against the grain, as you might say. Oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> Knew that was coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, well, I, I want to get into the film a little bit here, but before that, I just want to ask, so if, if they are able to harvest these crop wheats or whatever they are, uh, whatever field it happens to be, uh, why do they complain that their crops are ruined? Yeah, well, that's just nonsense from the farmer. The, 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 the cheeky so-and-so, by and large, because the amount of flattened area is minimal for the whole field, and... Um, we spoke to farmers, haven't we, Robert? Two, one, one was chap that does the combining, and another farmer up in Windmill Hill who put his collection box out, and he made it quite clear that uh, the uh, damage is not the planking; it's where people walk, always on the same place, because people don't like to damage the shape. They tend to walk around the edges, or they congregate in the middle, apart from lying in it and flattening it. So he said, your feet, if the crop is ripe and the seed heads are mature, they knock the seed head off. That seed is trodden into the ground, into the soil. So when he comes to plough and sow a different crop the following year, he gets that crop comes up as, to him as a weed. Nice. So the actual loss to the combined harvest machines is perhaps only 1% one, one or 2%. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, in my memory. From talking to these yeah, guys. I think I think you're about right there, Dave. Yeah. So 
then they go and claim on their insurance for for the, because people have trespassed and made this big crop circle, and uh, they claim this hundreds of pounds of loss of, of material, uh, and they they get the insurance. So apart from paying charging people to go in to view the formation, they're getting the insurance. So when they're, they're bleating away some of them on, in the media, on the camera or microphone in front of them, they they play the, the hard-done farmer and how cross they are. And we've lost thousands of pounds due to these plankers coming into my field and all these people trespassing. And they play up to this, but really it's nonsense. Huh. So. Jeremy, before you go on, I'm thinking if we can get one of these to show up in a barley field, we got a hell of a beer company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and an insurance write-off. Right. <laughs> um, so, Richard, when when you were making Crop Circles, the Hidden Truth, yes, um, you did you interview more Crop re- uh, Circle researchers than than who appeared in the film? Uh, no, it was just um, David Roberts and Roy Dutton. Um, because I, I felt that um, they provided enough objective research for me. Um, I deliberately steered away from the researchers who, let's say, are less scientific in their approach and, you know, come up with explanations like, the, you know, that the, the, they, can't, they can't be explained. They're magical. They're mystical. Well, I don't buy any of that, really. I, I think... There is a scientific explanation, and and it's that that scientific explanation is that it's extraterrestrial in origin, or or at least some of them are. Where I come from is that I um, believe that that, that um, the knowledge knowledge of mankind, the, many of the secrets, many of the philosophical questions that we've asked for centuries: Who are we? Where did we really come from? Do we have a soul? All these questions, I believe the UFO subject has the answer to eventually, once we're told the entire truth. And so my view is I'm always trying to to try and get to the truth. Now, I see the disinformation and in the crop circle world, the making of false crop circles to confuse the public as a, as a barrier to finding the real truth. And that needs to be exposed and gotten rid of so that we can move a step closer to finding out what is the true nature and what is really going on because as long as that as long as they're going around trying to muddy the waters um and it's sponsored by government then we're not going to find the answers to to these huge questions and you know that's why i tackled it in such a way in in the program to try and expose the muddying of the waters shall we say Right. Well, I want to definitely get into that, but I, I want to ask first, uh, of any of the really who you would consider bad researchers, do you suspect any of them of being a government agent? Um, I, I, I couldn't say it categorically, but I, I would say that I doubt it. I think they're just, I think they're more people who are blown away by the the patterns that they see, and they say things like, well, there's no way that could be done by a man in the in the dark with a plank, therefore it must be E.T. and they're they're easily led. They're not. Some of them are not really interested in in, in analyzing the, the phenomenon in an objective fashion because they like the fact that it's magic and it's right. mystery and it's beyond us. That's you know they conclude it's beyond us. We can't ever get to the bottom of it. We're not meant to get to the bottom of it. There's a higher power here, and we're just going to basically, you know, give in to that higher power. Well, you know, I don't buy any of that. I think so. I think that some of the researchers are 
you know, of, of that mind that they're, they're not scientific, if you see where I'm coming from. You want to name yeah. names? <laughs> Who should we stay away from? Well, no, I'd rather not name any names. If I might chip in here, we, we, we do know some well-known high-profile names in, the, in journalism. I think of one gentleman from Mexico City and one lady from the United States who we have met and compared notes a lot on animal mutilations. And a lot of these people are led by mischievous or deliberate, perhaps government agencies of some form or another, along a path. Um, and they're charging them money, often these people, to, to have the tour of the crop fields, so they're making you know, a bit of business out of it all, who don't want to know about board marks and the telltale signs of hoaxing because it's bad for business on one hand and, uh, and it's a shame that some of these people, and I'm hesitant to mention names but you might deduce what I'm talking about, will put things up on their websites in their respective countries, ASAP, even before they've left the fields of Wiltshire because of laptops and communication and we can't put the brakes on that. And uh, these these people are reluctant to be shown things in the field at their feet that they don't want to see because a it spoils the fun. It's it's not good for the, uh, the headlines and their websites and all the rest of it. And we, we sometimes wonder if if these people are being set up eventually to make look fools, which might damage the other good serious reporting they're doing on the whole UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, Dave. Which is what happened to Colin Andrews in Project Blackbird. He was made to look a fool. Hmm. Yes, and Pat Logado, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I want to get into that. How, Richard, how did you come to discover, well, it's John Lundberg, right, is sort of your main suspect um, from Team yeah. Satan. Uh, how did you come to suspect him in the first place? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I spoke to David a lot about the crop circle phenomenon sort of after we did the animal mutilation thing. And, I, you know, I didn't really have a great deal of interest in crop circles. I knew about them. I knew that, you know, possibly some were ET related, but I didn't have a great deal of interest. But David, um, you know, sort of showed me a lot of information. And, you know, he said that, you know, that many people believe that uh, the government is sponsoring this disinformation through this organization called Circle Makers. Now, this intrigued me because, uh, you know, I, I just thought that it's it's unfair that that's, if, if that's true, it's unfair and it, it, it needs to stop. So I looked at this John Lumberg guy, and one of one of the things that, that immediately sort of set an alarm bell off was that the website, thecirclemakers.org, was, was, was launched in 1995. Now, I have a... a technical background I've designed a lot of websites and you know I've been a bit of techie all my life really and I thought 1995 now Windows uh, 95 wasn't launched until late 1995 and most people were on Windows 3.1 if you can remember it in 95 which didn't even have a web browser now the internet really didn't didn't get going until the late 90s in my opinion I, I remember I, I worked for a Rolls-Royce company and this company didn't have a website, and this was in 97, and I can remember badgering, you know, the managing director and, and the, the directors, we need a website for this company, we have, you know, we're, we're falling behind, and this was in 97. So most corporate 
enterprises did not have a website in 1995. This is extremely early, I believe. And this website was set up by this artist in 95. So that was the first thing. I thought, well, why would, why would you do that? Why would somebody, um, you know, have that designed before even businesses were having website designed? Point his age and whatever. Yeah. And um, Lumbo's a similar age to me, and he left university in in uh, 92 and basically launched this career in, in circle making. Uh, now, most people, when they leave university, they've got debt, they have to go and get a job. But this guy just goes into the fields and starts this um, art collective. So where's he getting the money from? Um, because the other thing that struck me is the size and scale of the man-made circles. Now, typically, you know, I sort of educated myself on how many circles are produced, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is this is this is true of the last, let's say, 16 or 17 years. The, the circles start round about um, the beginning of May, end of April, and they go right the way through to the end of August. And typically, the complex man-made circles you get between 10 and 15 circles per month over a four-month period. Now, if you analyze the actual technique that they use when they make these man-made circles, they would, they would travel to the circle the day before it's produced. So, and I know for a fact that they don't all live near where the circles are produced. Lundberg lives in London. There's another guy on the team lives in Devon. So they would spend a few hours driving to the, to the area, let's say, get there for lunchtime. They then spend several hours marking the, 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 the circle out like a surveyor would, using GPS and that kind of thing, when it's light. Uh, I guess if anyone comes along, they just hide in the tram lines. Now, they then wait till it gets dark, and then they spend the darkest hours of the night, you know, stomping the crop. And this typically there'd be maybe five people in a team, I guess. Uh, and then in the morning, they then shoot off. And then they would be pretty tired after that because it takes several hours. There's a hell of a lot of uh, crop to be stomped in some of these circles. They cover a very large area. So it's a tiring activity. Now, they then would drive, have a long drive home, and then they would, they would want to sleep when they get home. So they would maybe get home in the morning, and they would sleep for that day. So what I'm saying is it's, it's basically a two-day process for five people, and they're producing t between 10 and 15 per month. So what I'm saying is it's a, it's a full-time activity for four months of the year. So there is no way, in my opinion, that, that this could be an unfunded uh, hobby, as they claim it is, that they've never been paid. So that was the other thing, coupled with the extremely professional website that they have now. I mean, most individual researchers, such as Colin Andrews or, or Linda Moulton Howe, people like that, you look at their websites, they're a one-man band. Their website is very, it's unpolished, shall we say, because it's, they put it together themselves and they're not a web developer. I mean, and this is true of almost all individual researchers. It's not a criticism because the information on a lot of these sites is superb, but the design and the actual, they don't have a, a corporate look. I mean, my site's probably a little bit different because that's, I've spent four years developing websites. Because you work in government. But, sorry? Because <laughs> you're part of the MI5. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so, so oh, wait. <laughs> no, it's not a denial. No, no, I, no, I, <laughs> no, I have no association with them. <laughs> um, but I, I had my own web design business for for four years, so I, I sort of did, did company corporate websites. Um, so. So this is the other thing that I thought, well, there's no way it would be so polished. And these were the things that 
and then I looked further at, at, at other evidence, and then uncovered other things. So that, so you yeah, know, one it was, of the things you uncovered that I thought was fascinating was was the HTML code. Was it? Yeah. The, uh, what, what was it? The search terms. Yeah, the key the keywords and the search terms. Yeah, why second, would that all be MI five spy CIA? All those sort of hey, look yeah. at me. I mean, that just seems so obviously Doctor Evil to me that I don't. I don't yeah, I mean, why that would exist. I, I can't give you an answer why they would want those search those keywords in their in their site. You know, if it's a covert operation, blah blah blah. Um, why would you do that? The only thing I can think of is that it's a double bluff. You know. Hmm. Um, and, and you know, you saw the references in the film to the fact that they they have um, a retainer. Our our retainer has kept our virtual head above water, who we cannot name. Now, as we said in the film, there is no way a private company or charity or even an individual and any kind of investor would fund a, an activity which doesn't produce any money. You know, they're, they're not. Illegal. It's illegal. They're breaking the law. So, yeah. so they they claim they have a retainer who's giving them funds, even though on camera Lundberg denied that they've ever been paid for a circle, which I believe was a barefaced lie. And if you look at the way that he smirks when he says it, that someone actually makes him laugh off camera, you can see it's a lie. That they have been paid for making these circles. There's no way that five or six individuals can take four year, four months off per year. Um, continuously to to make crop circles so they're definitely being funded it's not corporate funding um so it doesn't leave very much does it basically and the other pieces of circumstantial evidence points to who that funding you know who's providing that funding and have you been able to speak with uh, mr lundberg and, and ask him for his comment on the allegations no i haven't i mean I did consider that. Um, I did consider contacting him for an interview, um, but I, I didn't think it would be fair based on what the conclusions. I knew, you know, from what I'd found, what the conclusions were going to be. Therefore, I didn't think it would be fair to interview him on one hand and not, you know, because I guess if he was to see the film, then the last thing he would want to do would be to be part of it, I guess. Hmm. So, um, has, he, has he responded? Um, no. No. Um, yeah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, but, I mean, that's part of the covert nature of what they do, I believe. I mean, um, you know, the whole thing is that, you know, they, they, they never claim ownership of a circle. And this is part of the disinformation, I believe. If you, if, you, if you look up any interview on the net of Lundberg or on camera, he always comes out with the same quotation. And I believe he's been told by intelligence to, to, to have this philosophy. Uh, I can read it out. It's... It, it's um, Crop circles uh, must remain authorless. If we claim a formation, we immediately drain it of all its power. It's taken out of the realm of the unknown and becomes just flattened crop. So it's this gap in information about the authorship of the circles that enables them to function correctly. Although we have not and never will claim authorship of any individual crop circle, we do obviously take talk about them in general terms. So, you know, that that's a very arty farty sort of statement which some people you know oh isn't that beautiful but i think you know it's an obvious tactic too so people can't figure out which ones are real and which ones aren't hmm. uh and and you say in the movie that that you suspect some other people some of them famous uh involved in this what is it that you're able to do to verify that anything um, 
Well, I think, um, no, I don't have any way. Of course, you can't verify if somebody, you know, you're not going to get a, a contract, you know, an employment contract that someone is being um, funded by MI5. But but it's like, you know, if you've got to, sometimes someone's, if let's say someone's on trial for murder, quite often if there's no hard evidence, they'll build the entire case around circumstantial evidence. And so what I'm saying is there's all this circumstantial evidence. This is what I think is true. And I've done that with, with with various other people on the site as well. Um, John Ronson is another one, the guy who wrote uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. I've got suspicions about him and, and various other people who are listed. I mean, there's no connection with crop circles uh, other than the fact that John Lundberg runs John Ronson's website. Other than that, you know, he doesn't have a, a crop circle connection. But uh, I believe there are various people operating within our media who are you know, being steered by the same agenda that steers the, the crop circle people. And the, the whole thing is to keep the public away from the fact that, that there are ETs, you know, here on Earth. Could, could I interject a bit here on those lines, yeah. Jeremy? Uh, we know, Robert and I for sure, and others, that there's certain American characters who are regularly in the fields every summer, one of whom even took up residence uh, in Pusey, although he did move from property to property now and again, and they did a, a formation in a field quite a bit away from the usual um, tourist spot, so the place called Hill Martin, which was near RAF Lynham, in Wiltshire, where they're flying a lot of these poor lads' bodies back from Afghanistan. And... Um, he put a, a little tatty notice on the, the barge-in notice board, which was the room that the croppies used at the time, uh, to notify this formation. So Robert and I thought, oh, right, we're going to look at that. And, and sadly, the farmer had had it to, uh, combined, and it was all rolled up in the bale of straw. But we got talking to the guy who did that, who was actually an employee of the farmer, a fellow called Alan Sparrow, who, and he showed us around his compound machine, and his wife also joined in the conversation. And uh, he, he, this chap tried to make out that they made this formation as a, as a test in the pitch black to show what a doddle it was to fake them. Um, but it turned out they'd taken two days to make it, and one evening the, the wife of the farmer employee answered a knock to the door and one of the team who's from the United States well known in the crop circle business and MUFON said oh it's getting too dark now to see what we're doing we'll come back tomorrow uh, which they did uh, and the, the formation apparently wasn't any great shakes and they actually put photographs up and uh, even put a statement out claiming they, they'd done this in a short space of time in the dark, which was a blatant lie. So they're not just John Lundberg and people over here doing this sort of thing. There are other agencies at work, and I think probably CIA involved, uh, and probably working cahoots with MI5 anyway. So to a large extent, the, the whole cover-up business on the whole UFO scene, everything from abductions to mutilations, is steered and, and guided by the United States. They call the shots and all this, and they're making damn sure that what happens in the crop fields in Britain 
or rubbished, and they probably use their colleagues in MI5 or whatever department it is to uh, cooperate. Uh, that's my firm belief, and I'm sorry if I've offended you American guys by saying that, but no. <laughs> we, we're pretty certain that the cover-up since Roswell is being steered by the United States and is still being the case. Well, let me ask you this, um, you know, in, uh, at least in, in terms of ufology here, we definitely, the conspiracy theorists have it that, you know, for instance, Boeing uh, is in on it or Skunk Works or, you know, any of these um, uh, sort of private businesses are working, you know, in secret with the military on, for instance, you know, reverse engineered alien technology or, or something along those lines. Um, do you have that type of... Uh, uh, I don't know, conspiracy theory about your own uh, British companies in, uh, in mainstream engineers, or do you, do you just have it about America? Um, well, in terms of aviation, I, mean, I spent 27 years in the aircraft construction company. It was Avro's in the old days, Hawker City and British Aerospace. Uh, I, I wouldn't think that we have that capability. I mean, the industry is sternly broke. Even the RE at Farnborough some years ago were broke. They couldn't fund a new custom-built aircraft for the Royal Air Force. I'm just talking about mid-air refuelers, for example. The Typhoon, which is developing flying now and being supplied to the RAF and other people abroad, couldn't have been built without the assistance of three other countries to put money in. In fact, the government nearly pulled the plug. Oh, it was the Germans nearly pulled out at one point. So I don't think we have a skunk works like Lockheed in the UK. I'm pretty certain of that. So, so we haven't got any sort of stealth secret aircraft, you know, like Aurora or whatever, anything coming out of Area 51, because we haven't got space for an Area 51. I mean, Area 51 is, is, is a closed-off area, which is uh, greater than the whole of Wales in the UK. Hmm. So... Uh, that's just my view from the... the yeah, I would go along with that. Yeah, I would go along with that there, David. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and here's a question that, that may just be for Colin Andrews. I don't know if, if any of you know the answer to this, but you know he's come around to thinking that uh, even some of the hoaxers are being influenced by whatever this you know, this outside agency is, if you want to call it aliens or interdimensional yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Um, yeah. The people that he has spoken to, the hoaxers that he's spoken to, are any of them the people that you suspect of being MI5? Um, Do you know that, David? No. Only one comes to mind. That's Matthew Williams. Hmm. Uh, and his, his friends, they, they claim and have said that they've They've been you know, plunking a circle in the, in the dark at times, and they've had spooky experiences and seen strange things and even hinted that they've been helped and guided to do what they're doing. Now, there's no evidence for that other than the words of Matthew Williams and, he, and his mates. Yeah. So whether... I mean, I've, I've heard theories put forward that, that the circle makers or certain certain people who make them, you know, there's no plan or everything. They're just kind of guided by ETs, and they, like in some, like a zombie going into a field, and then suddenly there's this fantastic formation. That they, you know, I don't buy any of that. I think they've got a, they've got a drawing, they've got a plan, and it's been designed by a person. And, and I, I'm, I'm, it, it could be true that there's some kind of influence over people from ETs to do this, but there's no repeatable, provable evidence of that, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I know that people have, they claim, I mean, Stephen Gray, for example, he claims that he imagined, or they all imagined this, this shape, and then it appeared in the crop the following day, so the ETs read their mind. Um, <laughs> and then he turns and, and that's actually the logo for C-SETI. Am I right with that, uh, David? Yeah, yes, yes. You know, the, the actual logo that Greer has, he, that believes, he believes that that was a circle which appeared after they had imagined the circle in their mind. Is that yeah. Yeah, um, I think the trouble with Steve Dreer and his and his people who follow him, his followers, they they he has trouble with the animal mutilation scene because he mm-hmm. he, he likes to think the ETs are all uh, friendly and uh, don't do anything nasty, um, uh, and you can't equate yes. you know the crop circles and uh, all this sort of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like. I'd like to make a comment on on, on that. Um, you see, you can't take anything away from Stephen Gray because the the disclosure project was absolutely phenomenal, and it basically, I think it 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 brought ufology onto another level. All of those witnesses that he got together, so yeah, yeah. nobody's done that since. And I absolutely take my hat off to Gray for that. But um, you, you know, I think this this argument that ETs are all benevolent. I don't think you can use words such as benevolent or malevolent. They're not objective enough, those terms. I think by all species, I mean, this is Stanton Friedman's argument, have self-interest. They must have self-interest in order to maintain their population. And sometimes if one species has self-interest, it then means that it it favours itself over another species, and therefore that might mean that might be considered by the other species as them being malevolent or nasty. You see what I'm saying? So I think to, just to say that the ETs are all benevolent and nice and kind is simplistic. It's not as simple as that. I think they have self-interest, yeah. uh, and, and which could could be construed as being cruel or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, you interview abductees, and you know, I, I, I couldn't share the view that, that you know, abductees have horror stories. A lot of them, you know, with what things that's happened to them, yes. and then you look at the mutilation phenomenon, which is, you know, just as worse. Do you think that it's, um, especially given all of the fairy lore around there, do you think it's a little premature to jump to the conclusion of ET, where crop circles are involved? No, I would say definitely not. I think, um, I mean, the location, Wiltshire, where most of these um, crop circles occur, is a highly energetic area. Um, I think it's the ley line energy which is the driving force for all this. I think Stonehenge and Avebury particularly um, are collection points for that energy. So we don't bang on a ley line? Yeah, and I think that that, um, energy... Is um, is prob? I have the feeling it's vital for our survival on this planet, and my feeling is that the genuine crop circles are a means of infusing energy into that ley line system. And uh, I did actually have this confirmed to me by a very unusual uh, chap I met in Australia after I gave a talk over there in Adelaide. And he told me that um, I was correct in that assumption and that the different patterns allowed for a different frequency of energy to be infused. So um, I think, uh, and that's why those particular fields in the Vale of Pusey, 
um, are energized even when there are no crop circles there at all. And that is why we see the Apache attack helicopters hovering low over those fields when there's no crop circles there. And for people to say that the, that, um, the Vale of Pusey is um, um, a practice area for helicopter pilots, uh, that simply doesn't make any sense. Um, for a, for a, a, an Apache attack helicopter pilot to be hovering over a field of wheat on a, a balmy summer's day, uh, to try and call that practice um, is a nonsense. Uh, you know, flying around the um, the mountains of Snowdonia in North Wales it, uh, in the darkness is practice for those guys. So what they're doing is they're actually monitoring the energy which is there all the time. On, the, on these little balls of light go along with it. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, they've been filmed with the balls of light around them. I mean, Colin Andrews has had that uh, experience. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, um, and a friend of ours um, uh, who lives in that area was filming a crop circle in the east field one day when um, um, a military helicopter was hovering over it, and the helicopter um, saw her and flew right towards her. And, um, it, you know, it, it was absolute harassment, you know. There was debris uh, flying about all around her. Um, she, she was really afraid for her, for her safety. She dropped her video camera, so running on the back seat, didn't she? Absolutely. She in the car, yeah. So, so for the military to say that they're not interested in these things, and and that um, you know that um, it's just um, um, a man-made phenomenon, it uh, doesn't hold water at all. My view on that is that there's advanced technology being used to make some circles by presumably ETs. Now, anything that involves advanced technology the military has an interest in, it thinks it has ownership over that because advanced technology could have military implications and they want to take ownership of that until they've had a chance to capture it, analyze it, use it, whatever, to gain a military advantage. And, and that's why I believe you know, I think perhaps these helicopters are trying to catch one of these orbs, perhaps, and, you know, take it apart like they did with, the, you know, the, the Roswell craft. One of the things that I think is uh, great about your film is that you have, you go down the list of man-made formations, and one of them is the Mayan headdress right now. is The Mayan headdress, is that not the, the formation where the policemen this summer saw blonde-haired, ostensibly, you know, aliens or whatever you would want to call them, in it and had some sort of interaction with them? Well, uh, can I just say that um, I, I don't have a problem with um, ETs being sighted in the area around, anywhere around Silbury Hill, which is where that was. Yeah. Um, but um, that doesn't say for one second that the crop circle that they were in was a genuine well, crop circle. They weren't quite in it, actually. They were in the tram lines well, leading they, up to the formation. Exactly. So, you know, uh, people try to get um, authenticity through association. And yeah. I, I'm not saying for one second that the policemen did not see um, aliens of some kind in the fields around there. I mean, we've had so many cases of UFO sightings and, and, and other strange things happening around there that um, I would be surprised if, if somebody at some time didn't see aliens around there. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't say that it's a genuine formation. And in my opinion, every single one of the Mayan-type formations have been man-made. I mean, the, 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 the first, I think, uh, which appeared across from Silby Hill a few years ago, which was a magnificent thing, 
I mean, friends of ours were actually asked on the on the um, the second uh, night to, uh, to to lend a hand to finish it off because yeah. uh, they were running behind, mm-hmm. uh, and we've several witnesses to that effect. And I should mention say that area where the police officers saw those strange beings, which Colin Andrews has researched since last year and got quite a, a long list of information on his website at the moment about it. Uh, he also points out that during Operation Blackberg in 19, what was that, 91 or something, 92, so everyone was concentrated down near Warminster while that was going on. He discovered that the, uh, the military, MOD, whatever, were doing a covert exercise with all sorts of gear in that very same field the police officers saw those strange beings recently so what we don't know is nor does colin what on earth were they doing in that field by silbury hill and yeah and, and bear in mind dave um, um it is by silbury hill where you um got that, that incredible um gang account yes it, it you destroyed know, where, it, the, yeah. where the thing screamed off the scale yeah, two thousand counts per second they went, which is absolutely. absolutely. So Silbury Hill. Hill. I'd just like to make a point about Silbury yeah. Hill, if I may, um, which is you know um, this, I believe it's forty meters high, um, sort of mound of earth, which is circular construction, which I believe is um, it's I think it's something like four thousand years old, something like that. Now, that that thing took over two hundred years to construct. And nobody's come up with an explanation of what it's for. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a bit like the pyramid mysteries. People claim that the pyramids were tombs for pharaohs, but I don't believe that for one minute. And Silbury Hill is similar. Nobody, nobody knows what it was for. Now, if something takes 200 years to build, and, and now we're talking about peasants here. We're talking about thousands of years ago when people, you know, spent most of their time in the field trying to, you know, get enough food to eat. So that was a, a massive, massive undertaking to build Silbury Hill. So why would ancient people um, build something that's going to take 200 years to build? So they're, they're not going to see the, the finished thing, you know. It, why would they do that? What, you know, unless they were being controlled or there was some higher um, authority telling them to do that, what to, to, or, to build that. that uh... Yeah, or, or if it was very important for them to do that. I mean, just, um, you know, half a mile away or whatever from Silbury Hill, you've got uh, Avebury Stone Circle. Mm-hmm. And that's an even bigger undertaking. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 uh, that's even earlier, I think, than Silbury Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm, I'm convinced that the ancient people were acutely aware of the uh, ley line energy. I mean, after all, they weren't being bombarded with all the microwave radiation from telephones and TVs and what have you that we are today. I think they would have, um, they would have felt that energy as clearly as, as anything. And uh, they definitely um, created Avebury, I think, as a collector of that mm-hmm. energy for whatever purpose. Did they have reincarnation in their belief system back then? Um, I, I don't know that. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't say. I, couldn't uh, I was say. just going to say, you know, if, if you believe in reincarnation, if, if that's your society, then what's 200 years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just going well, back anyway, right? Oh, yes. Well, I believe in reincarnation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you might you might you might be waiting a while before you come back. Sometimes people come back within weeks, don't they? Yeah. 
I actually um, asked Roy Dutton, who's very good at astronomy, to um, do a little exercise because I thought perhaps Silbury Hill, if you if you draw a line from the centre of the Earth to Silbury Hill, and then that line goes through the centre of the hill, and then it, that will then go out into space. Now, as the Earth is rotating, that line will draw, you know, a disc in space. But that disc would have had a different orientation due to the precession of the equinoxes when Silbury Hill was built. So I asked him to sort of sit, to, to do this calculation to find out was Silbury Hill pointing to any, you know, significant known star at that time. But he, he, he reckons it, you know, that, it, that it's not. That he couldn't identify any star systems and say, oh, well, it was pointing there. But it was just a kind of a thought that perhaps, you know, because people have come with the theory that it's possibly a stargate. Um, I don't know what the rest feel about that. <laughs> well, well, I would just say that, I mean, we have a friend who lives in Avebury, Truslow, which is right next to Avebury. And um, uh, she uh, has a, an incredibly powerful ley line passing through her garden from Silbury Hill to the Stone Circle. And um, it's an absolute impossibility to get um, a, a signal for a mobile phone down there. And photographs uh, which um, David has taken there have, um, um, have been completely fogged on occasion. So um, the energy is, is quite something, I think. Let me ask a question here, just getting back to the actual formations themselves. Any of the global formations, be it in Canada, Holland, or wherever, do they all have the same components, the legitimate ones? Do they all – are they saying something unique and uniform, or is it sort of all over the map? Well, there's been, uh, there's been one in, in Canada this year. I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly where it was, but the guy, the guy took a picture of um, one of the grape shot circles from up on his combine harvester. And just looking at the lay of that crop, it looked to me as if that was, um, you know, m more than likely a genuine formation. Mm. And, uh, oh, and I have friends um, who, who visit Canada, and uh, they've had all sorts of experiences over there, so... It's um, it's just as big a hot spot of activity as anywhere else, I think. Yeah, uh, the, the ones in Holland by uh, Robert van de Broek's home, which Nancy Talbot visited a few times there, uh, that's certainly associated with strange lights and sightings in the sky just yards from their home into the field where these things have appeared. So, uh, But having said that, I'm sure that in Holland and Germany and France and anywhere else, and the States and Brazil, there are hoax circles, people making them just the same. Mm -hmm. So, for whatever motive or purpose, I don't know. Hey, I guess I have a, sort Sorry. of a, a bigger meta question for Richard and David. I'm pretty sure I know what Robert's answer would be, uh, <laughs> which is when you start looking into crop circles or UFOs or any of these uh, paranormal, you know, quote-unquote paranormal uh, topics, do you find that the air changes? Do you find that synchronicities kick in almost mechanically in, in a way that, that doesn't happen with other topics? Do you find, in essence, that in some way you become part of the thing you're studying? Yeah, I don't know how you what you feel about synchronicity, David. I, um, the jury's out for me. You know, I hear people all the time sort of saying, "Oh, well, this coincidence happened, therefore there must be some sort of guiding finger, therefore it's synchronicity." I I don't buy it yet, but that's not to say that if I'm presented with you know evidence in the future, 
um, you know, that that would... The, the only thing that's happened to me is I was interviewing a guy called Robert Hall for a, a program that I was making, and um, I was just on the way out of his house. He, he's, you know, he was abducted, and he actually saw E.T. in 1940. He's in his 70s. And he gave me three books, and they were all related um, in some way to other... Um, things that I was involved with. So he, um, one, he gave me one of Tim Good's books, and I'd been trying to buy that particular book at that time. There was a, I, was, I was writing a, a TV program about the history of ufology, and he gave me a book which was, I think uh, David's got this book there, UFO, The Government Files, which, although it's written from a skeptical perspective, it's, um, it's a very good history of ufology. And then there was another book, I, I don't recall what that was, but all these three books were the books that, that I was been trying to get, and he 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 got them all from a second-hand bookshop that particular day. So <laughs> I just thought that was that that's the only thing that's ever happened to me. And then he he is an alleged abductee, so perhaps someone was guiding him. I don't know, but uh, I'm very skeptical of. It. I don't know how you feel, David. <laughs> I think I'll leave this one to Robert. Actually, <laughs> we have had feelings, things of synchronicity happen when we've been down in Wiltshire, haven't we? And elsewhere. Oh, crikey, yes. Uh, to come in company of certain people like James Millen and yeah well can I say something on this sure <laughs> <laughs> oh well um yeah well I'm I'm confident that um uh, uh, people like us are being monitored uh, all the time by our friends up there I'm not talking about government I'm talking about ET and that um, they help us to uh, do what uh, is necessary and uh, guide us and um, synchronicities happen all the time to us uh, so that um, you know it becomes um, commonplace so yeah I, f I feel very comfortable that um, we're not alone most of the time <laughs> so maybe Richard will come round to that one day maybe <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next documentary. Yeah. Um, I, I have one more just sort of uh, out of left field question, and then I'll pass it back to Jeff. Um, just because this constantly comes up when we talk about crop circles, that one formation where it's the giant, you know, bug-eyed, ostensibly gray alien with the computer disc that, oh, yeah. you know, has that message to it. Uh, has that been proven either way to be hoaxed or not? Well, I would say that it's, it's, it's not been proven either way. But um, my feeling is that it is a man-made job, and the reason for that is the technique that has obviously been used to create it. If you look at it carefully, you can see that it's built up of kind of raster lines, like you get on a TV screen. And uh, that, tech that exact technique was used within a month of, of that formation to create a, uh, a logo, an advertising logo, for the Richard and Judy show, um, a TV show here in, in the UK, and also uh, an advertisement for Orange Telecom, again done in a, a field of wheat, and the exact same technique was used. So I think that's, um, you know, a bit, bit too much of a coincidence. Yeah, they've also did it, done it in sand, again, with face personalities like David Jason, the actor, and Steve Coogan, is it? And, what, it, uh, and, and you can see the raster lines, they're measuring the lines out, and all those images and the way they've done it is on the Circle Makers website. 
Well, why is it that that's still up in the air? I don't understand. What did, did people not go into it and actually look at the crop and say there's no blown nodes, or what happened? Well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I've seen photographs um, of the lay of the crop, which um, which Paul Vigate, the, the poor chap who's no longer with us, um, and um, the, the, the lay of the crop is as rough as, as can be. Um, but um, it's almost as if somehow the pattern was was sort of displayed on the top of the crop by some kind of... Um, I don't know, laser imaging device maybe, and then um, the stompers went in with the planks and, and just stomped it very, very quickly um, and, and created that, that uh, formation. But that's, well, I, I think that's just a guess. Sophisticated as that, Robert, I think it's just literally measuring the, the length of each line to stomp down and then they stop, and then there may be a stagger to produce a, a shade on the face or what have you, and it's just a series of, of lines Hmm. Plank down, uh, yeah. or measured well, out pre- beforehand to the new. Well, that's 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 entirely possible. But what what we can say for sure is it's exactly the same technique as was used in two advertisements, which the crops, the circle makers, um, uh, uh, confirm on their website that they created yeah. as a commission. And on so, beaches in sand, the same. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think what this illustrates is that there's no one central independent authority which is going to every circle with independent objective analysis. I mean, David and Robert get to the ones that they can. There's no way they can get to all of them. So there's so it's a bit of a free for all. It just depends which researchers get there first and and which way they they lean. So there's no there's not a sort of organised uh, procedure or analysis done on every circle. Mm-hmm. The shame as there used to be the centre of crop circle studies, and that started off in the late 80s with that very intention. And they got some very eminent people. In fact, Sir Archie Roy, a scientist, was the president when it first started. And it closed down a few years ago because, A, they were having running out of funds, they were running out of people willing to take up office to, to run the show, and they were so distressed. Uh, uh, wasting so much of their time and resources going to fields which they knew were plainly hoax because the the man-made jobbies overtook and reversed the situation where there might have been in the early days 90% genuine, if you like, 10% hoaxed. And they did produce a graph in one of their magazines, I remember, uh, which clearly shows the, the, the gradual reversal of that trend. So they ended up with, as Colin Andrew said in 2000, 80 90% man-made, you know, as against the genuine one. So it, it just collapsed. So the whole idea was to have a proper funded organization with a scientific officer, uh, you know, it, it being, and people doing different functions, and everyone pulling together. And it's just mm-hmm. eroded and, away by You know, and MI5 must have rubbed their hands when that organization closed down. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they did, yeah. <laughs> well, even though there's no organization, is there not a unified uh, means to study these so that no matter who went in there would have came up with similar information than that you guys would have if you'd gotten to it? Well, mean protocols? I would, yeah, protocols. Yeah, well, I would, mean, I, would, I would say people don't want to know the truth. That's, uh, that's the top and bottom that, of it these days, yes. But I mean, that would, it seems like such a specific thing that, that everyone, I would think that everyone in crop circle research would clamor to go into and study. I'm just surprised that there's not yeah. 
Generally, the first thing they see is the, is the actual pattern, and then they start getting all excited about the actual pattern and start interpreting it before they've gone to the circle, you know? Yes. Uh, yes, so the CCS did have protocols or it now, things for people to do, apart from just the physical measurements, you know, to, you know plotting it out on paper, uh, to, to look for all these features. But that's all sort of disappeared. So no one in these days is going into crop fields last five or six years with any firm, um, you know, plan right. to how to inspect them and, and come up with the right answers, man-made or otherwise. It's, it's a shame. But, it's just disappeared. But one comment I'd like to make: you, you mentioned the alien head um, circle where there was a message, and then there was another one um, where apparently we sent out messages via a radio telescope to to try and get contact from alien civilizations. There was a one where it was it was the alleged return message from an ET. So, the, so when you look at some of the at the amount of intellect and work which goes in to these man-made circles, it's phenomenal. I mean, some of the astronomical information in them is phenomenal, and the, and the main themes, you know, they're not. There's a, there's a vast amount of research going into the themes and the actual messages that they're putting out. Yeah. Um, Can and I, 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 I don't believe that the people who are doing the stomping are doing the designing. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like from what you're saying that there, you know, I guess we would have to believe that there is more protocol and more organization with these crop circle artists um, who may or may not even belong to the same groups than there is with the crop circle researchers and that seems unfathomable to me because I know artists and uh, <laughs> they're not all that organized <laughs> thanks a lot no, no offense Jeff. so anyway Jeff would you like to uh, jump in yeah, that brings me to a question that, that uh, at least over here in the States, I don't know how it is abroad, but at least in ufology, uh, which I, I, I've been involved in probably 23 years or so now, uh, there seems to be, at least over here, there seems to be when you get a good case or a good case comes up, uh, there almost tends to be a territorial stance taken by the researcher who gets involved with it. Mm, um, yes. and, and therefore, they, they, they don't share information a lot. I mean, I, I know that Stephen Greer's name got brought up in conversation with Jeremy. And, you know, I, I mean, there's a guy for me that, um, you know, makes a hell of a lot of claims about a lot of things. And I, I would say at least our audience, Jeremy and I, I think my opinion is of Greer is more or less, I don't know how to put this diplomatically, uh, full of shit. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I I, I sat, uh, I had to hold on to my chair when I went to one of his lectures because I was, uh, I mean, my heart's pounding now. It, it enraged me so much to hear some of the crap that came out of this guy's mouth. There's a guy who claims, you know, he's got uh, involvement in disclosure with this country or that country, but we can't name the country, and we've got this uh, evidence, but we can't share that or talk about it. We've got this witness who wants to come forward, but we can't name him. I mean, all of this kind of stuff um, happens in the States as far as ufology. There's this, I own this case, and you're not coming in. Um, do you guys encounter that with formations in, in the U.K. where – you guys walk into a formation and say some other researchers there, and they're like, "Hey, guys, we got it. You know, uh, back off." Or, 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 are you all friendly to each other and, and share information? No, no, we're not. Um, there's an awful lot of pressure brought to bear on people like us who are prepared to show why particular formations are man-made. 
um, because um, uh, people don't generally want to hear uh, that side of the story. You know, when we've shown people the board marks physically in, the, in that particular formation, they've had a hell of a job to accept that what they were seeing was actually what we were telling them. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's like being in a club, um, a club of crop circle believers. And um, if, if you dare to say that uh, this particular one is man-made, then you yeah. become persona non grata and you're yeah, yeah. heretic. <laughs> oh, crikey, we've, mm. we've had, had some right uh, going the old Dave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certain people have been absolutely livid with us yeah, when we, when we showed, showed them the truth. Yes. You know? But yes. the truth is the, is the thing that matters. You know, people seem to think that... Um, you know, all we're about is, is um, rubbishing the crop circle phenomenon. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. We, we are the people who are uh, giving the proof that there are genuine crop circles and that they are connected with ET. These other people will never prove anything because they're not prepared to look at the evidence. Right, right. Just going back to Stephen Gray for a moment, I'm sticking my neck out here. <laughs> but he, he said he had a go at me in a Quest International Conference in Leeds in 2000 when I was speaking for the first time on my animal mutant research in the UK. And Stephen was there also as a speaker. And we were in the hotel and he, he came up to me uh, very officiously and somewhat aggressive almost and said, you don't know, I can't remember the exact words, but you, about the mutilations, you really don't know what's going on. And he turned on his heel and haughtily walked off. Now, I'm that sure sounds he, about right, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's still saying now that the, the mutilations are done, like lots of people, are done by uh, government agencies in, you know, for whatever reason. And not, you know, are done by men, you know. Uh, and various other people are saying the same, like Nick Redfern, which I found very disappointing, having known Nick in the past. And it's almost like they don't want to somehow admit that this is these are surgical operation procedures on the animals, which is very strongly pointing to ET, um, and they can't live with that for some reason. I, I, can't, I can't work it out. The, 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 th the thing that gets for me with the mutilation is that no nobody ever has ever been caught or seen um, perpetrating this particular crime. There's a, a, a measure of covert technology um, being applied. Uh, the question is, you know, do the military have that? But, you know, I don't think they, they, they can be invisible. Well, why would um, they also just start their own military farm? Right. <laughs> <laughs> why would they have to steal cattle? Why would they risk everything? Yeah. Yeah. Steal cattle. I mean, you can yeah. find them at a cattle market or, or whatever, legit, and do it away in private, you know. Why, and why would we return the mutilated animal back to the scene of the crime, the theft, to expose themselves to be caught twice uh, and aggravate the rancher or the farmer or whatever? It doesn't make a, just a bit of sense. So... Well. I, I think one of the one of the the excuses that I've heard lately is that they are introducing some sort of covert vaccination or covert exposure of other cattle to mutilated cattle for some reason to introduce some kind of antibody or something like that. Which I I, I just I don't understand any of the cattle mutilation stuff enough uh, no. to to really to really comment on it because I've seen some 
some documentaries on on uh, you know on History Channel and have you that uh, kind of at least for me dispelled a couple of things that uh, I didn't quite understand about uh, the, the the nature of uh, uh, parasitic you know things that that do eat from the inside out on a on a cattle. Uh, but there are several things still for me that are unexplained about all of that. Absolutely right. Yeah. Can I just um, uh, come in on a slightly happier note here? <laughs> um, regarding the crop circles, um, one of the effects of all the crop circles has been to bring people together into that area of the UK from all over the world. And mm-hmm. uh, David and I have made some terrific friends uh, that yep. we wouldn't have made um, if if we hadn't had the crop circles, and that includes the hoax formations. Mm. So, um, you know, there is that aspect to them. It is bringing people together, and the thing is, the majority of those people are special people. Most of them have had uh, experiences themselves, and uh, it's, it's like a big magnet, if you like, and... Um, what we end up with is that it's like a, a, a like a huge family, and um, you know we've got friends all over the world, and, and we support each other um, in in our experiences, and uh, and so a, a great deal of good has come out of the crop circles, regardless of who has made them. Right. Yep. Right. Um, I'm curious. Um with within the film when we were watching uh, the hook circles here's a set here's a set that we think are unknown and i can only tell you my impression from sitting there last night watching this and i'm thinking as i'm looking at the hoaxed ones that they're very vectorized they're very clean uh most of them anyway but when you get to what has been deemed genuine unknowns it to me and I'm only going by feeling here, uh, which is something I don't normally do, but I got a very distinctly different feeling when I saw those. (laughs) (laughs) And it was almost, and this is the way I can best describe it. Um, Jeremy's the writer, you know, I suck at this. I'm an artist, so everything's visual to me. But the the way I look at it is like when I'm looking at something that's man-made, I'm looking at a picture. And when I look at something that seems to be unknown, it's almost like, I'm staring through it, uh, and that's the feeling I got. I, I, I mean, one of them in particular, and I, I can't remember which one it is now. Actually, I had to look away from it because I was just like uh, s- semi-mesmerized by how perfect it was. It was just looking at something that that I can't put my finger on what that was. I'm curious well, what that feels like from the ground. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you had that feeling for start off because um, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, that was the first thing that I um, hesitated to accept when people said that they could get a feeling of whether it was genuine or not just by looking at the aerial photograph. Uh, I thought that was very dangerous. You know, you could soon come to the wrong conclusion. But uh, there is something about the genuine ones which. Um, affects you in a different way, and you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. yeah. And when you're on the, sorry, go on. So, uh, sorry, when you're on the ground, well, I mean that, that's a, a mixed thing. I mean, certain formations like the, um, uh, the the what we call the North Down Shield formation, 
which is a very complicated pun, which was in um, the list of genuine ones there. The photographs taken of it by our friend Bill Betts from ground level made no sense whatsoever. Um, you could not get any clue at all as to what the pattern was from ground level because it was just so complicated. It would have been impossible to create from ground level because it was just a, a complete uh, mishmash. It was only when you saw the aerial shot that you could actually see that there was a pattern there. Mm -hmm. um, you know? Yeah, um, and, and I'm curious about something else that I've heard over the years, uh, and I'm curious if the, uh, if the three of you have ever looked at, uh, well, how to, frame, how to couch this is that we've had talks and discussions on this show about uh, parts of, quote-unquote, the paranormal that are anti-structural, that, uh, that, that paranormal activity seems to follow in line with stress or uh, change, great change, these kind of things that happen in someone's life. I have heard that the crop circles tend to show up, the genuines tend to show up uh, a little more frequently in times of world crisis. Do you find that? Have any of you looked into that at all to see if that is a is a reality, or or is that just something that one of the airy fairy quote unquote researchers came up with? Sounds a bit airy fairy to me, to be honest. We, I don't think David and I have ever looked into that. No, I mean, most most of the good stuff occurred round about two thousand two thousand and one, actually, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. The genuine uh, stuff, you mean, Robert? Yeah. 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 And before, of course, there was some before. Oh yes, but you know, um, you had in the field, so. th th there was there was uh, you know probably two or three in two thousand and one. Mm. Uh, certainly, the Hubcap formation, the the Milk Hill Galaxy, and the Etchelhampton Celtic Cross, yeah. uh, definitely genuine formations. I think the Galaxy one's very interesting because it's very very complex. Well, it's not complex, but it's very, it's the, the amount of circles, it's something like over 400 circles, and which I believe, Robert, you believe that's genuine, that yeah, ironically, yeah. that's the circle that Lumberg always has on his T-shirt yeah. and oh. features most predominantly on his website. Yes, so he's yeah. actually got a genuine circle, yeah. on his know, which is yeah. adding to the disinformation. Absolutely. These are subliminal messages that, uh, that these people are putting across to try to get you to believe that they mm -hmm. made the darn things. Mm -hmm. You notice they, ne they don't actually say, we made it, but they just put these images close to themselves so that you, you might assume that they made it. Mm -hmm. Clever stuff, you know. Yeah. You see, well, you know, for somebody who claims that, uh, that, that taking ownership of it, uh, it r ruins its effect, uh, you know, he certainly got it displayed prominently on his homepage. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Really? Yeah, a little double yeah. speak there. Yeah, um, can I just also say, you know, sure. that was a that was a huge formation, you know, sort of over eight hundred feet in diameter. Um, but it's not that that convinces me that it was genuine. It's it's actually looking at the detail of the lay of the crop. If you look at each individual circle, you can see that the um, the cr the crop is beautifully evenly laid, and. Um, more than that, I mean, we have film um, taken inside that circle um, where the um, where within the flattened crop there were thistles, and um, the energy uh, which lays the crop seems to be tuned to the 
particular crop that it's meant to lay. So that if it's laying a field of wheat, it ain't going to touch a thistle. And in, in this particular case, we have film where the, the crop is beautifully laid, um, like combed into position up to a thistle, and, and then just before it gets to the thistle, the, the laid crop actually diverges on either side of the thistle, goes round it, and then starts to, to be laid again normally on the other side of the thistle. What? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is, uh, this, yeah. is, this is the way the energy um, works. And we also know for, for certain that, uh, for instance, in the Ogborn St. George Formation, the energy is affected by the uh, tractor lines which go through the formation. Okay. So, that, so that we have film where the, um, the, the, the laid crop was uh, was laid at a certain height, maybe, shall we say, I don't know, two foot six high, and as it came towards the tractor line, the the crop started to dip down until when it got to the edge of the tractor line, it was only just a few inches high. And then we have the tractor line, and then at the the back edge of the tractor line, we have a row of standing stems which are untouched by the energy. And then between the tractor lines, the energy starts to lay the crop down again until it gets to the other uh, tractor line, and the same thing is repeated. And we've come across this in, you know, in other occasions. Yeah. In the, the Woodborough Hill Formation, the Hubcap Formation, um, in the tractor lines, there were um, uh, small um, uh, kale plants, which are small green fleshy plants, which were only about six inches high, I would say, um, and, and this was a field of barley. But as I say, the energy is tuned to the barley, so where the, um, the laid crop went across these um, tractor lines, the, the kale plants were completely untouched. Well, can I, re- can, I, can I ask just one thing about the, yeah. as far as the tram lines go? Uh, when you're walking across the field and you're, you're going to a formation and you run into... <clears throat> one of these these lines, because it, when you're looking at this from uh, from an aerial view, it's hard to tell how wide those tram lines are, and also, um, well, number one, how wide are they usually? And number two, you, you were talking about the, the the lay of a formation going over those tram lines. Is the ground not uneven where those where they run? Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, so you're kind of going over multiple little hills, like you're going up and down no, through no. those tram lines, right? No, first, first of all, can, I, can we just say we don't walk across the fields. Mm. We walk down the tractor lines okay. and, and only down the tractor lines so as not to damage the crop. Right. Okay? And, yes, the, the tractor lines are uh, depressed into the, into the field, so they're perhaps... Um, Maybe three inches lower than the the, yeah. the average uh, height of the more, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, so no, it's as if the system that's being used to affect the crop is taking into account the fact that there's no crop or perhaps a lowered level of ground on the tractor line, and it's making an adjustment adjustment. Yeah. You know, to the point where the crop is bent as it approaches yeah. the tractor line. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's actually video of that. There's two other 45-minute um, interviews of David and Robert, which you can watch in addition to the film. And that what Robert's talking about is in that is in those other interviews. That footage. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and the other question is the uh, the width. The tractor axle is what eight, ten, eight to ten feet. Yeah. Okay. Farmers' tractors and machinery, so they're roughly that sort of width. Okay. So if you're looking at an aerial shot, if you say if you say a round figure is ten foot from the two the, the two sets of wheels right. across, it gives you a rough idea how big the formation is, you know, from the aerial picture. Do you mm. do you guys ever uh, get the feeling that? Or have you ever seen evidence of, I guess I should ask, uh, the phenomena of responding to a fake circle? <laughs> because, because, and the reason I ask that is the, uh, the Ogborn thing, I, I mean, I hate to keep going back to that, but that had my jaw hanging in the air when I saw it. That, that almost looks to me like the phenomena is going, oh yeah? Do this. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it, it almost seems responsive, and I'm curious if you've ever seen anything like that before that seems to be a response like, okay, you flatten the crop, big deal. Now do this. Uh, yeah, yeah, figure this out, you know. Yeah, all those same thoughts have gone through our minds, haven't they, Robert? Yeah, very many times, yeah. I mean, if you look at the what we call the basket weave formation, which is, I don't know, it might be the second one of the genuine ones in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you'll, you'll guess which one it is when, you, when I say basket weave. Yeah, it's completely uh, absurd, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is so complicated, that um, that um, technique or or that design has never. I mean, that was 1999, and that that design has never been. Uh, nobody's tried to replicate it. Well, uh, Matthew Williams on the conference platform claiming that he made that. <laughs> yes. Well, a- absolute nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> Good. Make another. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but they, they they actually tried to to do the basket weave type of of lay this year in the East Field, and that's the, the one of the the first um, fake formation I think that is showed in the in the series uh, of photographs. Um, but I went in there and it was pathetic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, and it had board marks and oh, and board marks, of course. But there is, you know, there is. Um, there's a kind of a sequence in certain patterns which I've noticed. If you look at the basket weave formation, if you look at the main design of that, um, there are similarities to that with the Ogborn St. George formation. And there was another one which we believe could well have been genuine uh, at a place called Beckhampton near some horse gallops which again was very similar to the Ogborn St. George formation. So there is a, there's a series going on here. It has six arms against nine for the Ogborn St. George, isn't it? If I remember rightly. So, yeah, there's, um, they're, uh, they're trying to get us to think, I think, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I think yeah. Roy Dutton's comment is worth bringing in here. He believes that to some extent they're playing games with us because they're not, that, you know, they're not being completely obvious in what the messages are. You yep. know, that it's, perhaps it's uh, teenage aliens just having a bit of fun. You know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, you can see where he's coming from with that because they're not actually spelling out something concrete or representing something which, you know, we know what they're trying to say. Right, um, right. So they're not, you know, sort of being honest with us, shall we say. Right. Well, I, I mean, I see parallels in that to, to my own experiences over the years. I mean, I, I, I pretty much like uh, <clears throat> like Robert has said, I've had this in, in my life pretty much my whole life. And uh, um, I, I've had experiences where I go, well, maybe not. You know, I don't, I don't think that was really it. And the response I get back is usually, 
<laughs> in your face. Uh, you know, really? Is that what you think? Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the popular thing. Um, I think the last question I got for you guys, and this is probably the greatest wrap-up question of all time. Um, how about uh, how about bugs <laughs> in a formation? Devoid of bugs? More bugs? Less bugs? Insects? Insects affected by or or attracted to a formation? Any thought on that? Uh, well, <laughs> dead silence. How's that? The greatest rap question of all time. That's right, have, greatest. Thank been, you. There have been questions of flies, of different types of fly, mm-hmm. stuck, frozen in motion, wings out, antennae out, attached to the seed heads, um, so something is, is kill them, hmm. some sort of energy. Um, not seen in every formation, but in some. Yeah, uh, no, I believe in... That's in, unexplained. Was it in America, Dave, where there were, at least, or maybe Canada, where there was um, like a porcupine found in a in a formation that was oh, yes. kind of cooked or something? Yes, yes, that's right. It was cooked and his spines were all flattened. He was cooked? <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Linda Milton Howe reported that also on her website in the past huh. there. Yeah. It's in the archives somewhere. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the energy must be pretty damned high because, I mean, in some cases, the actual um, roots of, 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 of plants in the formations have found to, been found to be charred, uh-huh. you know? So there's been some pretty high heat there. Um, is that the type of thing where animals or insects would stay away from a formation because they sense something that you don't? I guess yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. Birds have been known to fly as they're flying a flock of geese or something. Uh, they, they suddenly swerve away from the for, to avoid flying over the formation, even though they might be right. a couple of hundred feet or more above the formation. People have witnessed that, haven't they? Right. I haven't personally, but people report that. Well, I have I have one more question for all of you. Will all of you come back, please, and <laughs> and spend another two hours with us at some point? I mean, because we we're not even scratching the surface of this thing, um, and, and I'm sure that. Uh, that, that, that all three of you are going to keep looking into this and come across new things. We'd love to have you back, and we certainly thank you all for taking time with us today. It's, it's a pleasure. Great. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, and I would have no problem coming back. Excellent. Yeah. Richard, yeah, me, what are you working on now? Me too. What am I working on now? Well, there's a, a, a UFO case um, which took place in 1974 in Wales, a place called the Berwyn Mountains. And there's, I believe there's been government disinformation put out on that case. And I, I, in fact, I believe the government are paranoid about that case. They've been trying to steer people away from that case. I'm making a film about that. I've, I've interviewed one witness who's never been on camera, and I hope to get a second one early next year. So it'll be you'll be able to watch it from our from our website, the, the Berwyn Mountain UFO. And that's richplanet.net. Dot net. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, programs that you can watch on on my website they've all been on a a tv channel called um emtv sky it's it's a a satellite channel in the uk and they're all on there so there's all kinds of things on there programs about disclosure and with some good tim tim good interview and all kinds of things great well thank you again gentlemen for uh for doing this with us and uh yeah we look forward to having you back um yeah animal mutilations robert's ufo stuff i mean we there's a lot more here to uh to cover so come on certainly the, certainly the mutilations would make a good program i think david do you think yes yes sure. okay. 
Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for asking. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Peritopia. I may end up eating crow on this. I don't know. Um, but as I am editing this for sound, uh, uh, there are a couple of times when I heard a voice that doesn't sound like any of us. And the most obvious one I edited out of the show, but I, I saved it and I'm going to play it here for you. It comes at a time uh, right before Jeff starts to speak just after uh, Robert has described the camouflage alien video that he took uh, that looked kind of like the Predator movie, just sort of a ripple uh, in the background. So listen to this and realize that that it it absolutely doesn't sound like Richard Hall's audio because he's the one who's sort of blown out, like it's uh, sort of hot audio. And Robert and David are the ones speaking... And it certainly ain't Jeff and me. <laughs> so, who is this? What is this sound you're about to hear that talks under Jeff? Um, or starts off talking before Jeff and then ends up talking under him? Uh, I don't know. I'll I'll leave that to you to decide. I'll play it a couple of times. Here it is. Yeah. Huh. The, Im- the images in the background, Jeff, were like a, uh, a shimmering, wavy distortion. Weren't they, Robert? Yeah, you know, yeah. A sudden, a sudden sort of ripple went across the screen of the crop. So, so am I right in guessing here that that you did capture the footage? It was just that it wouldn't display. Did you hear it? How could you not? I'll play it again this time. I'll just cue it onto the actual sound and loop it a few times of the crop. So, so am I right in guessing here that of the crop? So, so am I right in guessing here that? So, so am I right in guessing here that... Again, this is not a joke. I just don't know what or who that would be. So once again, we've, we've done another Crop Circle episode, and we've ended up with uh, an odd audio mystery. Anyway, uh, good to see we, we're getting better EVPs on our Crop Circle episodes than we did at our, uh, our three-hour ghost hunt spectacular. <laughs> ah, thank you and good night. Of the crop. So, so my right.